It's good to see you today. Thank you for being here. It's good to have Jared and Anna and the young folks back with us today. I know that they had a great trip. A lot of good was done. And so we're very grateful for all the good that they did this past week. Thankful that they had a safe trip and back home again. I understand Stephanie was baptized, if I'm not mistaken. And so we're thankful for that. And we pray that God will bless her with a long and fruitful life in His service. I do want to encourage you to come back this afternoon at 1 p.m. Our attendance over the past few months at the 1 p.m. service has been think very good, and we're grateful to those of you that come back on a regular basis. So I encourage you to come back today at 1 o'clock, and we'll be worshiping God one more time, and then hopefully and prayerfully have a great week before us. We're looking today at Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, in verses 7 through 10. It's always good to see a young fellow excited. If only everyone would like that. But we are glad that you're here. So in Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, we have a record of the nation of Israel. And the text tells us, as was read a moment ago, that the children of God, they were faithful during the lifetime of Joshua. They were faithful during the lifetime of the elders who outlived Joshua. But then the text tells us that another generation came on the scene. And the writer said that this next generation knew not the Lord, nor yet the great works which He had done in Israel. The question that we might ask, what happened? How was it the case that two generations of people stood rock solid in their faith? And then a third generation comes on the scene, and they know nothing. I was reading this past week. 30%, almost 30% of people living in this country identify as what they would claim to be none. And by that, they mean they are nothing religiously. And so they are identified by those who are studying that segment of society, they're identified as the nuns. It might be that they're atheists, agnostics, or as one writer said, when it comes to the realm of religion, they're just nothing. So in a nation like ours, how do you think it is that some 30%, that segment of our society, says we're nothing religiously? What I want to do is look at what the record says here, and I want to begin by going back and looking at the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6. Because first and foremost, we have to understand that there was a command to Israel. God placed upon the nation of Israel certain commands that were to be implemented into their lives, into the heart and soul of the nation. And so you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God had emphasized to them the importance of being people of faith. Now when they came out of Egyptian bondage, you remember back in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 19, 
God said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. In verse 5, he said, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be a special treasure to me above all people. He said, You will be a kingdom, a priest, a holy nation. The nation of Israel was a type of God's people today. We are a kingdom and a priesthood. As a kingdom and priesthood of believers, we are to live as holy people. You remember, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter would say you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom He has called forth out of darkness into His marvelous light. As members of the church, the ecclesia, we are the called out. Paul would say we have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So what is it that God demands of us today? To be people of faith and to put that faith into action. And so you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the writer there stressed, that being Moses, stressed the importance of honoring the statutes and commandments which they had been commanded. He said, you, your son, and your grandson. In verse 3, tell them why. That it might be well with you. So down in verse 4, he would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And he said, you shall teach them diligently to your children. He said, you'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So the idea here was, according to Moses, they were to take the commandments, the statutes of God, internalize those commands into their own lives, and then they were to pass on what they knew, to pass on the faith. In other words, they were to take their children and educate them in the law of Almighty God. That's what God wanted. That's what His design was. There's an example of that in the New Testament. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1 when the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith. And he talked about the genuine faith that dwelt first in his mother, or grandmother rather, Lois. And then in his mother, Eunice. And then he said, and I am persuaded in you also. In chapter 3, verse 15, same book, Paul would say to Timothy, and that from childhood, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ. So what Paul was saying to Timothy was simply this, that as just a toddler, your mother and grandmother began depositing into your heart the Word of the living God. And no doubt, that is what led young Timothy to become a great person of faith. We today have the responsibility of passing on to our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, the truth of Almighty God. Ephesians 6 verse 4 is still good scripture. 
Paul said that we are to rear our children, listen to him, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's what God wants. God wants us to be people of faith. But He also wants us to take the faith that we possess and pass that on. And so it has to be a priority, doesn't it? I'm grateful to those of you who are here today. To those of you that are parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. The fact that you realize faith is vitally important. So much so that to the best of your ability, you're trying to teach, to educate, to pass on to your children and to their children the truth of Almighty God. You know, Christianity is a taught religion, isn't it? We come to know something about God through His Word. Jesus said, it's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and learned of the Father comes unto me. So what we do is take the knowledge that we possess and we are to pass that on. That was a command to ancient Israel. It's a command to the Israel of God today. That is the church. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we talk about the command, but then, based upon the record here, the carelessness of the nation. The record that we read a moment ago in Judges chapter 2. The writer said that the children of Israel, they were faithful during the lifetime of Joshua, the one that had led them into the promised land, the one that had, succeed, that had succeeded Moses, the great lawgiver and leader of ancient Israel. So they're faithful during the lifetime of this man. They were faithful during the lifetime of the elders that outlived him. But then the record says another generation came on the scene. And they knew not the Lord, nor yet the great works which he had done for Israel. What happened? I mean, how could that have been the case? That people that had been the recipients of God's liberating work in Egypt, they had already seen a generation die in the wilderness. According to the book of Deuteronomy, you can look at the book of Numbers, a generation had died in the wilderness because they lacked faith in God, faith in the power of God. And now you've got another generation about to go into the promised land, that land, as Moses said in chapter 6, verse 3 of Deuteronomy, a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going into the promised land. But the Bible says in Genesis, or rather in Judges chapter 2 at verse 10, that we've got a generation on the scene now that don't know the Lord. So what happened? Number one, it's my conviction that they lacked love. What was it God said through Moses? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Agape love today. Looking at someone and recognizing that we want what is best for them. What's best for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? What's best for them is that we school them in the faith of Almighty God. We live in a highly secularized society. 
And our children are being bombarded with information. If we genuinely love them, and I, I have no doubt that we love our children, we love our grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We love our family members. So if I genuinely love my family, I'm going to want what's best for them. And God said, what's best for you is to take my word and instill that word in your children. So number one, they like love. You know, and if we love the Lord, what will we do? Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, you'll keep my commands? And what was it that God said through Paul in Ephesians 6 that we're to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? That's not an option. It's an obligation. It's not something that maybe we do, maybe we don't. No, we are commanded to do that. Now look, we have no, we have, once we teach our children, and as they begin to grow and mature in life, at some point in time, they're on their own. We have no control over their actions, the choices that they make. But while they're under our care and supervision, we have to do what's best for them. What's best for them is to point them in the direction of God, isn't it? So number one, they lacked what I would call love. Number two, they lacked loyalty. God said, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Are we loyal enough to God to understand that every generation is important? The generation today that's on the scene, they're the future of tomorrow, aren't they? Every generation, sadly, is but a step from apostasy if we don't teach them. So we've got to be loyal to God, loyal enough to say, you know what, God knows what's best. And God wants what's best for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Now understand that the wisdom of God says, look, my word will be a blessing in their lives. Now we live in a day and time when for many, many people in this society today, they view the word of God as what we might call a plague. They don't want any part of it. And yet Paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. God didn't give us his word to hurt us to hinder us, but rather He gave us His Word to help us, to bless us, to make life better. If we could only see that. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. The problems that we're facing in society today are not because we're following this book. The reason why our nation today is so troubled and chaotic is because we have chosen not to follow this book. You remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul characterized the Gentile people. And he said, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress or hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Now there are folks today, they're doing everything within their power to suppress the truth of God. They don't want us to follow the Word of God. They don't even believe in the Word of God. And to them, it's a cancer. It's a plague. And yet we know differently, don't we? So they lacked love. They lacked what I would say to be loyalty to God. 
And then thirdly, they lacked leadership. We need leadership in the home, don't we? You know, in far too many homes to tell, well, the tail's in control. The tail's wagging the dog, as they say. We need strong moms and dads who want to be leaders in the home. Now, I want you to listen, please, very carefully for a minute. I think it's wonderful for parents to be all in on their children's activities. And I'm thankful for parents who are supportive of their children in their endeavors. If they want to play ball, the parents are right behind them. Many fathers, many mothers have taken time to teach their children how to play baseball or football or golf or hunt, fish, whatever. And that's great. I, I think it's important. But I think in some, in some cases, we have done a tremendous job as leaders in the home, in the secular realm, rather than in the spiritual realm. We put so much emphasis on the secular that if you didn't know better, you would think that's all there is to life. You know, Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 2, set your mind, set your affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Our children, over a period of time, they know what's important to us, don't they? And they come to an understanding of what is important, at least from our perspective, for them. How much do we emphasize in the home the spiritual dimension of life? A lot of emphasis on academics, nothing wrong with that. I think the better educated, the better off we are in society. But there are some folks who are very well educated, but in the realm of the spiritual side, they're foolish. Isn't that what Paul said? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So we've got to take the lead. We've got an opportunity as parents when we stand outside in the evening and see a starlit sky with the moon, we have the opportunity to say, you know what, God's the one that created this world. When we talk about the complexity of the human body, we have the opportunity to say, you know what, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. As leaders in the home, we have to counter what our children and grandchildren are hearing in the world. The emphasis in the world is entertainment, hedonism, pleasure, materialism, money, that we are the products of evolution and any other number of things. So how are we going to counter that? We've got to take the lead in the home and put God where He needs to be. Remember what the psalmist said many years ago, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Why today is the home faltering in many places? Because God's not the foundation. 
If you don't do things God's ways and you have problems, then step back and ask the question, okay, who's at fault here? Not God's fault. God has given us the manual, the pattern for life. The psalmist said, Your words, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. Now, there's a third thing I want to share with you. What about the consequences to the nation? If we fail to teach our children and their children and their children, we will pay a heavy price. We are already paying a price in society today because in many respects we've forgotten what's really important. So what about the consequences? When we fail to teach our children, first and foremost, you can just mark it down, poverty will come. We live in a wealthy nation. I would grant we're upside down in debt in this country, and that's nobody's fault but our own. That's another story. But in terms of the richness of our soil, the clean water, the clean air that we breathe, the medical care that we enjoy, the technology, the transportation, communication, all these great blessings. We are the wealthiest nation in the world. We are the envy of the world in many places. But let me tell you what, when it comes to spirituality, we are in poverty. We're in poverty. There was a day and time in America when just about every household had at least one copy of the Bible. If you went to school, if you were in public school, you were often given a copy of the New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs. Happened every year. Today we, we have removed God from the schoolhouse, the courthouse, and every other house. We're paying a price. You remember Hosea in the long ago, he said that his people were destroyed for lack of knowledge. You take knowledge of God out of society and you will be destroyed. It's killing us today. It kills every society that turns her back on God. Hosea said there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. How could that have been? Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 5, he said that they had people that were calling evil good, good evil. Is that not where we are today? One of the byproducts of knowing the Word of God, we can discern between what is right and wrong, good and evil. Folks today can't make an intelligent decision in life because they don't know the book of books. It's killing us. We are in poverty in this nation. Why? Because we have turned a deaf ear to the Word of God. And let me tell you what, we think we know better than God. Well, how's that working out? Not so well. So on the one hand, you have poverty. Secondly, perversity. You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Philippi, and you think about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was a godless machine. Those Roman Caesars, did they, did they have an affinity for God? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, they wanted to be addressed as deity. They viewed themselves as a god. Well, maybe we come to that conclusion today in society. It might be the case that we have politicized the government to the point we think they're God. They're not. 
God's the one who's on the throne. Matter of fact, John said in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is the ruler over the kingdoms of the earth. Daniel said the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. Who's in control? God is. You can mark that down. God's in absolute control. It's all said and done. It'll go according to His will. He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. So what about perversity? Go back and read Romans chapter 1. Paul said they were filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, evil-mindedness, envy, murder, strife, deceit. Went on to say they're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, proud, violent, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. And let me tell you this, the nuns will produce the uns. Well, what do you mean by that? Read Romans chapter, read Romans 1, verse 31. Let me tell you what the people of that day were like. They were undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. Tell me that's not a picture of the world we live in. You better believe it is. There was a day and time when people's word meant something. As parents, we taught our children, look, your word is your bond. You stand by your word. And today we got young folks, they don't even know the difference between right and wrong. And then you think about people in this world today, unloving. Let me tell you what, the devil has sown a lot of bad seed in this nation. And the devil has done his best to pit us against one another. And rather than viewing one another in this country as allies, we view one another as adversaries. And here's what Jesus said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. We are following the devil's handbook. You want to destroy a country? Pit us against one another. Who's going to change all this foolishness? We are as parents. The reason the nation is in trouble is because the home's in trouble. Until we get the home right, the nation will never be right. Amen? I mean, think about it. We wonder why this country's a mess. I can tell you why it's a mess. Because personally, we're a mess, by and large, in the world in which we live. Spiritually speaking, we are nothing. And sometimes, in, as members of the body of Christ, we claim membership in the body, but we don't know the Bible. And we don't teach the Bible. We don't pass it on to our children. Our children couldn't tell us what to do to become a child of God if their life depended on it. Couldn't defend the one church if their life depended on it. Couldn't talk about why we worship God as we do. Why? Because it hadn't been taught. It's not because it hadn't been taught in this location either. Not because it hasn't been taught in the classroom and from the pulpit. Because it hadn't been backed up in the home. That's it. Look, we got to get down to where people live. It's time to quit talking and start doing. We want to be militant as members of the body of Christ for what is right. Let me tell you what. If you have poverty and perversity, I can tell you this. You're in trouble, my friend. You are in trouble. Are we in trouble? Yes, we are. We're in trouble. Did you know in Europe, 
Less than 30% of the population believe in Almighty God. Now you just think about that for a minute. On European soil, less than 30% of the population believe in Almighty God. Is that what's coming here? I can tell you this. If the Lord delays His coming, if we keep on like we're keeping on, we'll be in the same position. A bunch of infidels. So, Hosea said to his people in the long ago, he said, they've sown to the wind, they'll reap the whirlwind. You just keep sowing bad seed and don't expect a good harvest. You sow bad seed, you will reap a harvest that is rotten to the core. And we got a lot of folks in this country today need to wake up. Wake up. Matter of fact, we might say, wake up America. Wake up church. If the world, if this country is going to know anything about right and wrong, truth and error, it's going to come from us as members of the body of Christ. The marching orders are still the same. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel is the answer. Wherever the gospel goes, it elevates society. Where it doesn't go, it destroys society. Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation. Sins are reproach unto any people. It's true then, true today. And we see it right before our eyes, don't we? We are so knee-deep in the muck and mire of sin. And we think we're something as a nation. You think again. So, the children of Israel had every opportunity to know God and to live for Him. Just read the continuation of Judges chapter 2. You know what happened to that generation that didn't know the Lord? They went headfirst into idolatry. Listen to what the record says two times in the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse 6, chapter 21, verse 25. Here's what the record says. In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Tell me that's not a commentary on society today. What's true for you is true. What's true for me is different. Look, there is only one standard. When we deviate from that standard, problems will occur. What they had done, they rejected God as being their king. Because they rejected God as their king, what they asked for? They wanted a king. They wanted an earthly king. And God said to Samuel in the long ago, they've not rejected you, Samuel, they rejected me. And that's exactly what the record says in Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the standard of America today. What's right in your eyes. Time to get back to truth. We can't afford not to teach our children. Again, thank you to those of you who are moms and dads, grandparents that are teaching, interested in spiritual things. You're involved in the work. You're in worship and Bible study every time the doors are open. Thank you for that. And just keep on keeping on. And to those who are not, my encouragement would be step up. Get things right. Make Christianity 
Make it a viable part of life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ. The Bible is very plain about how we become a Christian. We've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. We must repent of our sins. That's what Paul said to people that were living in idolatry. Acts chapter 17, God commands all men everywhere to repent. The reason is because He's appointed a day in which He'll judge the world in righteousness. So we believe in the Lord, we repent of sin, we confess His name, and then we're immersed in water. Why? So our sins can be washed away. Ephesians 1, 7. And then the Bible tells us we're added to the church, and once in the church we're to be faithful until death. And the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you want the prayers of the church, look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you today to encourage you to live a faithful Christian life. Won't you come as we stand and sing?